So I'm still making those drinks if anyone wants one. <laughs> yeah, they're really good, actually. Well, it's an awesome joy to be with you. I was telling a few of you guys earlier that I really um, miss Friday night ministry. I mean, I, I, one of the major things I miss is um, I used to be part of the high school ministry. I was an intern back in 2011. I was helping out with high school ministry. And I, I really got to know, like, the deacon students at the high school and junior high. And now... Is, do I need to change something? Okay. Um, and now I feel like I never really get to see like, who is Beacon at Lighthouse, because Sundays is just so crazy. So I'm really thankful just to have a few days to spend time with you, hopefully get to know you, uh, try to remember your names, and uh, but uh, please forgive me if I, if I forget. And now you guys really know me, uh, thanks to my sister. So let me just start with a word of prayer. We'll begin. Uh, Father, we just uh, come before you, and we are so thankful for your great love that has gathered us together. It is what um, makes us family in Christ. It is the blood of your Son that has brought unity to our gathering tonight. And we just sang about it and how we want his um, love and his life to be reflected in our lives and in our love, where we want uh, truly the life of Christ to kind of decide the mission of, um, of our lives, what we live for. Lord, as we... Um, Consider your love. We recognize how shallow and fleeting our love can be. So we ask, Father, for this weekend that you would help center our lives on Christ and that we would live lives that, that kind of leave a legacy of, of who he is and of, of his love and his care uh, for our watching world. So thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, again, thank you so much for letting me be part of your retreat. College is uh, a really exciting time of just kind of dreaming, right? You're dreaming about the future. Maybe there's some anxiety about the future too. But there's also like dreaming, excitement, like how am I going to spend my life? How am I going to use my gifts? How does God want to use my strengths and weaknesses? There's all this thought of how am I going to expend myself for the glory of Christ? So one thought we have when we're planning it, while we were, Francis and I were planning this weekend, is how can we help you look at your lives right now and use the relationships you have right now to expend yourself for the glory of Christ. Because I think in college, you can feel like you're in a holding pattern, like you're just in a waiting room, kind of waiting for the mission of your life to start. And we want to come alongside you and just help you ask, what are the opportunities for the kingdom of God, for kingdom building? What are the opportunities that are in your life right now? Now, at Lighthouse, our mission statement is making gospel-centered disciples that exalt and proclaim Christ. But this weekend, we want to help you see how this isn't just kind of the mission for our church generally, that is like this nice filter for how we decide what we do in ministry. It's a fundamental calling that each of us have that really transforms how we build relationships, who we talk to, what we talk about, how often we pray, how we try to help people. And that's why the theme of the retreat is one mission. Because the mission of the church and how it kind of sets a trajectory for the kingdom-building efforts we do as a church is also, on kind of a small, granular level, what guides the decisions we make in how we build friendships. So we're looking at tonight Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and we're going to consider kind of this call of discipleship that isn't just generally kind of hovering over the church, but is in the details of our relationships. 
mission of making disciples is a mission of caring for one another's hearts and lives. So we need to look carefully at how we're doing that. When we think about kind of passing on our faith, it's easy to think of kind of a fixed set of doctrines that are separate from our daily experiences and our struggles. Um, But I, I want us to kind of look at Matthew 28 and consider how the ministry of discipleship is really about how God is bringing his faith to us through relationships and how he uses us to bring that same faith to others. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This evening, rather than thinking about the important task of going out to make new disciples, I want to help you just stop and take inventory of your life and look at the people God's already put around you and just ask, who do I currently influence and how can I turn those relationships toward discipleship? Jesus went up to different guys and said, come follow me. But I'm kind of asking, who is already following you? There are people in your life that you don't need to say, come follow me, before they start to listen to you. And if they will hear you out, if they will listen to you, you have some level of influence in their life, however small you think it might be. I mean, think for a second about like people who listen to your food recommendations. Right? They took your recommendation on a ramen shop. Maybe they are into specialty coffee because of you. Maybe they started baking bread because of you. They're picking up hobbies because of you. Uh, The call to discipleship in Matthew 28 isn't meant only to inspire pastors and missionaries. It's meant to inspire you and and families and, and your roommates and friends. Having relationships is God's grace in our life to help us live the Great Commission 24 7. Because with those relationships, we see all people through the lens of that commission and realize that we have relationships where we influence, where people listen, and possibly where they will imitate us. And all these people you influence, they have circles of people that they influence. So how are you influencing those relationships? How are you using those relationships? When you hear the word discipleship, what is the first thing that pops to your mind? Maybe like a book by Jerry Bridges, maybe coffee shops, long conversations, comfortable couches. That might be part of it, but it's not all of it. So this evening, we're going to look at two ways we can leave a legacy of faith for others to follow us. Two ways we can leave a legacy of faith for others to follow. And the first way we leave a legacy of faith is through imitating Christ. So growing up as a son of a pastor and a that includes Dan, she was a daughter, a pastor. We got to hear my dad preach a lot, but it wasn't his sermons at church that had a great impact on the greatest impact on my life. In fact, at age seven through middle school, whenever I sat in the service, I, I had this preset daydream called Attack of the Ninjas that I would just turn on. So I don't know, maybe you guys have that that's running right now. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe you have those go-to daydreams that you just like press play on when you're like on a long commute or if you're sitting in like a boring class and it just makes life a little more interesting. 
So in this daydream during church, about like a hundred ninjas would break through the windows and start attacking everyone in the church. And I had a variety of superpowers that I would use to kind of take these ninjas down. And I could make that battle last for a good hour if I needed to. Um, <laughs> sometimes the ninjas, you know, they'd kidnap this cute girl that I, you know, had to rescue. And, or my best buddy and I would team up. I found plenty of ways to make my daydreams last as long as my dad's sermons. <laughs> but now that I'm older, okay, my dad is actually one of my favorite preachers. I love listening to him. But as a kid, it really was not his, his sermons or even like his carefully worded parental talks that stuck with me. Now, instruction is important, and we're going to talk about that. It's vital. It's part of discipleship. But what made the greatest impact in my relationship with my dad and my mom was their life of faith. And I saw it in a few different ways. I'm just going to give you some examples. I saw their faith through their sacrificial love for our family. So growing up, I saw my dad make big sacrifices. We moved around a lot. Um, we were Before we moved to Alabama, we were living in South Carolina. And there, my dad worked three jobs because finances were tight. And I saw him choose not to buy books that he needed for ministry just in order to pay bills or care for the practical needs of our family. I remember him just praying for books because we didn't have money. Coming home, he would come home tired, but he would still give up his evenings to talk to me, to hear what was going on in my life, to pray for me. I remember the first time I ever answered the phone, I was in the second grade, and it was my dad calling me. Like, my dad would call me from work just to say hi and to see how I was doing. So my dad isn't perfect. He was, and he still is very busy, but I can remember portraits of how he laid down his life for our family and for me. I remember my mom showing sacrificial love for our family by not um, letting fear of man stop her from being generous with the, like, the little that we had. So she would invite the whole church family over to our house. I don't really know how she did that, um, but they would just do that. So the, we had the washer and dryer in the kitchen, and so she would bake casseroles. She would create like this buffet on the washer and dryer. And what was stunning to me as I look back was not only her hospitality, but actually her love in the face of wrong, because the church we were at there in, in um, South Carolina, my dad ha should not have had to work three jobs. Like the church, in, the church in hindsight could have paid us more, but they actually held a conviction that the pastor needed to be the poorest person in the congregation. So that was why they paid us what they did. But my mom still invited the whole church over to our house and loved them with the little that we had, like knowing what was going on. Another thing I remember from my dad's life of faith was that he prayed. He was a man of prayer. So I would wake up early for video games. Um, I was homeschooled, and so I'd like wake up really early, try to do all my score before like 5.30 in the morning, and then have the rest of the day to play video games. And... My dad would wake up early, too, but not to do what I was doing. Um, he wanted to pray, or he'd be at the kitchen table with his Bible, or he'd be by his bed on his knees praying. When I got older, I'd go to the church office, see him praying there. Like, despite his busyness, he lived a very, like, dependent life on God's grace, and I saw that through the way he prayed. For my mom, I saw her faith through how she just was actively trying to spend time with God while homeschooling all four kids, while trying to be a pastor's wife. My mom would um, expect her schedule to get interrupted all the time. So she had like Bibles strategically placed in different places. I kind of learned this later. She had like a Bible open on the counter and a Bible open on the coffee table and a Bible open on the kitchen table. 
so that she could just kind of brush by, look at it, and carry on, and actively spend time with God while she was going through her day. Her plan to pursue God had to be adaptable, and it was part of how she cared for us. She put truth in her path, and I remember just so many times stopping and looking at the different Bibles that would be open in our home. The greatest legacy of faith my mom and dad could ever give me was their example, right? because it showed me that what they believed was real. This might be a different way to consider discipleship, because the word that Jesus uses for disciple in Matthew 28 is the Greek word mathetes, and it means student or pupil. But Jesus did not want his followers to just take notes during his sermons. He wanted them to watch his life. That's why he had them go everywhere with him. John says of Christ, his life was the light of men. His life is what we look at. His life was full of grace and truth, not just his sermons. Now, why did Jesus want his disciples to study his life? It was so that as they followed him, as they worshipped him, they would become more like him. They would imitate him. But because the word disciple means student, it's easy for us to restrict discipleship to places of kind of formal learning, like right now, this is discipleship, like sermons, or when you meet with your discipler, or when you have accountability. And that's all really good. But we tend to think it doesn't happen when you go shopping, or when you play baseball, or work out, or eat out, or play video games, or just chill, because we think of discipleship as an event rather than a lifestyle. We can think of discipleship as an event rather than a lifestyle. But in the Bible, something surprising happens between the Great Commission that Jesus gives in Matthew 28 and when Paul starts writing letters to the churches. Paul never mentions the word disciple in any of his letters. Not one time. Never. And this was so confusing to me. Jesus says, go and make disciples. It's the Great Commission and then Paul never mentions the word disciple. And why? It's because Paul has his eyes fixed on Christ, imitating Christ. And he wants us to see that discipleship is not this occasional event that pops up when you meet at coffee shops. It's a lifestyle, moment by moment, walking with people. Paul might not say the word disciple in his letters, but they all carry this theme of discipleship. And his word for a disciple is imitator. Throughout his ministry, Paul built so many relationships that he allowed, where he allowed people to see him just doing his thing. So after he left, he could write to them and say, remember that thing I did? Do that thing. Imitate me. He never said, remember that sermon I gave? Remember that lecture I taught? Remember that small group series? He always pointed back to his life. And that's how he made application in almost all of his letters. So I included this like list for you in your notes. Just like a, a sampling of this, the buffet of ways that he was saying, imitate me, follow me as I follow Christ. So 1 Corinthians 4, in fighting sin, I urge you then, be imitators of me. 1 Corinthians 11, for eating and drinking, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Ephesians 5, for pure speech, imitate God as beloved children. Philippians 3, focus on, for focusing on eternity, Join in imitating me. 1 Thessalonians 1, for evangelism, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 2, for suffering, you became imitators of the churches of God. 2 Thessalonians 3, for working hard, 
You yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Now, how could Paul say all this stuff? Like, be like me. Did Paul have like a, a crazy big ego? Like, how could he kind of lift himself up like this? Well, think of it this way. Like, if a senior in high school who is struggling to choose a college came to you and asked for help, it's not prideful to share with them, okay, this is the wisdom that God gave me. These are the mistakes that I made. And can I pray for you right now? And if they join in imitating you in the midst of that, they're not lifting you up. You're actually leading them to imitate Christ in the ways you were seeking to. That is discipleship in that moment. That's the, a legacy of faith moment. It's a vision of Christ moment. And Paul understood discipleship and friendship, but he never used either word to describe relationships in the church. Because he used imitators, and he, and he illustrated it with the, the picture of a family. Listen to how he reflects on his relationship with the Thessalonian church. I'm just going to read to you from 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 12. He says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So Paul calls that church his brothers and sisters, and he describes his work among them as a labor of a mother and a father. Right, think for a second, how do parents normally teach their kids? Is it through tons of formal teaching times, or is it through informal demonstrations? How do kids learn how to talk, and walk, and sing, and read? Most of it is informal, and that is what Paul says. Discipleship, it's kind of like parenting. That just like a child learns to walk and talk by imitating his family, that's how we grow to be like Christ. So do you see why imitator is such an important word for disciple in Paul's letters? The people who you influence, they're not your pupils, they're your family members. He said he longed to see them, he missed them, he stayed up late praying for them. He wept over them when they went astray. Like, just think, does that describe any relationships you have right now with other believers? This is what Jesus means by go and make disciples. I think, sadly, our focus in fulfilling the Great Commission can be how many missionaries are we sending out as a church? How many short-term mission trips am I going on? And those are vital, they're indispensable, but they're only a small part of the lifestyle of discipleship. The fundamental way God wants to advance his gospel is for us, no matter where we are or what stage of life we're in in this world, to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples until the gospel goes to all people. And that starts by talking to the people who are closest to us, using the relationships of influence that we have to share an influence for Christ. So who is listening to you? Who sees your life? I hope as we're, we're talking 
tonight, and, and you know, as even as we kind of explore this topic this weekend, there are certain names that are kind of popping into your mind, faces, family members, roommates. If you're a friend, then chances are you have some friends who are listening to you already. So the call of the Great Commission is go and make your life a classroom so you, they can see Christ in you through the way you play sports, through the way you suffer well, through the way you respond to difficult people and challenging teachers, through the way you make choices about entertainment, through how you spend your time, through the way you communicate. We must imitate Christ and demonstrate Christ so that those around us can connect truth to real life. But if discipleship is not happening, like if that's not in your life, then the question you have to ask yourself is, am I a disciple? Because part of the definition of a disciple is not someone who just receives truth, but who's becoming like Christ. And if they are becoming like Christ, then there will be a ripple effect and other people will be becoming like Christ who are around them. So am I becoming like Christ as I imitate the Christ-likeness of others? If you wouldn't say you're a disciple, then who are you following? Who do you look to as a role model or a hero? We all must ask these questions and remember that whoever we try to imitate, their influence in our lives will be passed on to others. So what are some areas of your life that you would like to help people grow in? Maybe you're around some people and you, you care about them. You know there's some genuine spiritual needs in their life that you want to care for. Maybe you would like to help them have a genuine interest in people or have a more generous heart or display sacrificial love more. You would really like to see them grow in their ability to study scripture. You want to see them grow in their patience when it comes to sports. Well, once you know how you'd like to see a friend or a family member or roommate grow, then I think the question to ask is how are you demonstrating that with your life? I think in discipleship, it can be easy um, to, to kind of let your mind say, okay, here's this topic I want to kind of study or I want to help this person study. What book talks about that? That's not the first question, okay? The first question is not what book can we read together. The first question is how am I living this out in my life? That might be helpful to know what book is there, but we have to ask how am I living it out? Or perhaps even a more important question is who am I looking to who lives it out well, who I want to imitate in that area. So let's say I want to see my, my friend be more patient in sports, okay? Who am I trying to imitate in that area? Your discipleship of your friend or your coworker or your neighbor or your roommate, it connects two links in a very long chain that stretches all the way back to Christ. So who is discipling you right now? Who are you imitating? It might not have been your mom or your dad, but God has given us the church so that discipleship would never stop. And he's given us his words so that at any time we have kind of direct access to the very beginning of the chain, Jesus Christ himself, the source and the substance of the chain of discipleship. Back in 2015, when my wife and I were expecting our first child, Wesley, um, I was very focused on everything I did not want to pass on to Wesley. And I still can think about it. Like, I don't want him to, I seriously don't want him to struggle with the sins I've had to struggle with, with my idols. I, want, I, don't, I don't want him to be paralyzed by my fears and my people pleasing. I remember before Wesley was born, just kind of weeping in front of my accountability partner. Because I did not want Wesley to battle the battles I've had to battle in my heart. But 
my my friend help me remember, and I had to remember that what God has given me to pass on to my son. Like, yes, my son will sin. He will experience guilt. He will face consequences. He will need forgiveness. And yes, he is my son. So not only is he inheriting my sin nature, he has a sinful father. I'm going to sin against him. I already have. So I wrote a letter to Wesley, and I read it to him um, before he was born. Maybe I'll read it to him again someday. This is what I read to him. <laughs> Dear Wesley, as your dad, I will sin. You'll see me sin against you and against your mom. You'll see my impatience and my anger. You'll see my selfishness and my love of money. You'll see my lust and my envy. You'll see my chains, and I will see yours. And I'm sorry. I wish I could tell you that my love for you will be perfect and unconditional. But I know there will be times when I will ignore your feelings or treat you as an obstacle. And though I'm horrified by my sin, I also can't wait to be your dad because of the hope of the gospel. God has brought heroes into my life, heroes who teach me, live before me, and love me like Christ. Heroes like your granddad and heroes like the men and women of Lighthouse. So Wesley, I have something much greater than the darkness of my sin to give to you. I have the light of the gospel to pass on to you and a church family that has faithfully carried this light into my life, and I know they will leave a legacy of faith for you to one day pass on to others. The hope I have in discipling my son is not that I will perfectly imitate Christ, but that I have a God who will perfectly love him. And I have you, my, my church family at Lighthouse, who are all linked into my son's life and have opportunities to pour into his life and have opportunities to pour into my life. So the first way we leave a legacy of faith is through imitating Christ. The second is through proclaiming Christ. Discipleship is a lifestyle, but it is a lifestyle that needs words. And in the Great Commission, we see that proclaiming Christ, uh, in proclaiming Christ, our speech must be filled with clarity, and also the authority of our Savior. So first, let's look at clarity. This is the word teaching. How do I know that Jesus wants us to speak clearly? Because he asked his disciples to teach others all that he commanded them, and all of his commands are unquestionably clear because Christ wants to be seen clearly. He wants to be known. Right? That's why in John 1, Jesus' name is the Word. Right? He is the Word made flesh. Jesus did not come as like the mystery made flesh or like the experience made flesh. And that's why as a pastor, I study my Bibles. I don't have like a seance when I'm getting ready to preach a sermon. Right? He wants to be known clearly. He wants to be seen and known personally so we can know who we're worshiping and how we ought to imitate him. You don't need a degree in Bible to be able to talk about Christ you don't need to be born in a Christian family. You don't need to be over the age of 18. You don't need to be done with college. You just need to listen to him speak clearly his words into your heart and then share what he teaches you with others. Like if you try to make disciples, but all you have is like this fuzzy, hazy Jesus, like a secondhand Jesus that you only get from sermons on Sunday or Friday night, then you'll have a hard time talking about him with others. Can you talk about Christ the way Scripture talks about him? 
This is one of the things I love most about discipleship, because it kind of puts this demand on me. Like, do I know the Jesus that I'm supposed to be talking about with this brother or sister right now? It drives me back to know Christ in the Word, to see Christ new every day, to hear His voice afresh. Because I'm expecting that God is going to put people in my path, and I'm going to need to talk to them. And I'm going to need more than just the good notes from the Sunday sermon. I need God's truth from this morning ringing in my ears if I'm going to help them know who Christ is. So next week, if you're spending time with a cousin or an aunt or a roommate or a friend, how, if they ask you, you know, how do you stay calm in the midst of the pressure of school? Or how do you stay calm in the midst of the pressures of life, of work? Do you have a clear kind of truth from Scripture that, uh, about your Savior that describes, you know, this is who Christ is to me. And that's my hope. That's why I haven't been anxious as much lately. Do you have a way of talking about Christ as your hope? Do you know how you would talk with your friends about like the area of sexual purity, the area of dating and marriage, maybe the area of communication, the area of stress over school? Are the people in your life asking questions that you're not sure how to answer? Like, why does evil exist? The need for discipleship should drive us to Scripture to find clarity. And if you want help, you have help here. You have a church family at Lighthouse that loves God's Word. You have a church staff that loves you, that wants to care for you. That want to help you think clearly and biblically through difficult areas of life. But no matter what, the most important way you must proclaim Christ clearly is through the message of the gospel itself. That you have sinned. I mean, you can casually talk about this with friends. Like, I have sinned. I sinned yesterday. Can you talk like that? Do you talk like that with people? And because of that sin, I deserve God's punishment. But God, he is so gracious. He sent his son to take that just punishment that I deserve. He took all that punishment and put it on Christ. And he died in my place and rose again. He's my substitute. I, I, I put my faith in who he is and what he has done. And that means I get to come to God. He just keeps receiving me back again and again. Instead of receiving his wrath and being punished forever, I receive his grace and I'm accepted forever. So I can talk to him about everything going on in my life. That's why I'm, I'm not stressed over this class. It's because of the gospel that brought me into a relationship that gives me hope. So what gospel themes show up in your conversations? Even this past week, did a gospel theme show up? Is it, like, do you think it's possible for you to say to a friend, yeah, I, I sinned yesterday, can you please pray for me? Can you share weakness in some way that helps you get to the gospel? So discipleship needs words that are clear so that Christ can be seen clearly and worshipped for who he says he is in Scripture. But it also needs words that carry authority. So that's the second part of teaching. It also requires words that carry authority. Look how Jesus starts verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now who gets to say that? Like who gets to start a sentence that way? Can you imagine like your mom saying that to you? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and clean your room. Okay. And Jesus says this. So... Like, parents don't even get to say that. Jesus alone gets to say that. So, 
we must obey, right? Not just because it's like a nice thing to do or because he's giving us this gracious invitation or it's a good opportunity. This is a summons from our king. To deny is not to just say no, it's to defy our king. Do you believe he has all authority in your life? That all of your life belongs to him? Jesus is saying, if you worship me as Lord, being a disciple who makes disciples is not optional. It's to reject a commission from your king. It's to defy a command. Jesus isn't sending us an evite, hoping we'll respond. Do you see his authority? So it's, it's not my power of persuasion. It is, I know it's not going to be like the testimony of my parents that is going to really make this message stick. It has to be who Christ is in your life. Who is he? Is it... Yes, I will do this because, Jesus, you are my Lord and my King and my Savior and my greatest love, and you have said it. It's not my power to make disciples and make disciple makers. At the end of the day, it's about who Jesus is in your life. And out of the overflow of who he is, your heart will speak. Discipleship is always an overflow of that relationship that you have. So this is discipleship. This is the, the, the legacy of faith God wants us to leave. So who surrounds your life in the chain of discipleship? Who do you follow and who do you leave? What are the opportunities? Jesus ends this passage by giving hope. Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But Jesus is not exactly passing the baton. He's not going anywhere. Right? The command to make disciples is something he actively brings about in our relationships. In this passage, he is not saying, okay, I'm leaving it up to you guys. Don't drop the baton. Jesus is saying, don't worry. He's not saying, don't worry, I'm just going to be in your corner cheering you on. He is saying, this is a work I'm going to do. And I don't need you to complete this, but I want you and your family and your church to share in my joy as you all become like me. And maybe you're here today and... Tonight you feel like a failure as a roommate or as a friend or as a family member, as a sibling, as a son or daughter. Maybe, maybe you've had moments of incredible influence in someone's life and you wish you could go back and do more and say more, love better. First, please don't let your feelings of failure isolate you. We have all failed. As a church, we are united in our weakness and failure and need grace. Second, the hope of Jesus being with us is that he is with us even when we fail. Even in our failures, Christ is powerfully and sovereignly working through our weaknesses to reveal his strength, to accomplish his purposes, and to make us rest in his grace. So today, tonight, my, my prayer is not that you would leave here and never fail and always make disciples but simply that discipleship will be a lens that you start to use to look at all of your relationships. Everyone who knows Christ is called to leave a legacy of faith. God wants us to see our church as a growing family to remind us that we're not alone in making disciples. This is something we are doing, and we are doing it together. And God has placed us with friends and families and strangers in our lives to be disciples who make disciples make disciples 
until the gospel goes to all people. So if you haven't yet, I want you just to take a moment and write down a few people that God has put in your life as places of influence. Co-workers, friends, roommates, family. Who will listen to you? Who asks for your opinion? If, you don't, if you're not sure, pray for the grace of God to give you courage and wisdom to intentionally know who that person is and how to live your life of faith before them. That he would give you hope to rest in his grace, knowing that it's his work that you are doing, that you are participating in. That he is doing something good, even when we feel like we have failed. We want our legacy to be not, what a great friend I was, what a great sibling, or what a great son or daughter. But we want, as we leave our legacy of faith, we want those we influence to join us in declaring what a great God we have, what a great Savior we follow. Let me pray for us. Father, as, uh, as we remember and celebrate the legacies of faith that you have brought into our lives, we can probably all think of the ways you brought your gospel to us. You brought your beautiful vision of Christ into our lives. We can think of people that we have imitated, who have shown us Christ. It is still you that we want to exalt. It is you Father, we want to celebrate most of all. It's your truth and your love and, and your grace that we must remember and cling to each day. So, Father, I pray that you would give us the grace to cling to you. And as we are clinging to Christ and loving him, may those in our lives see Christ in the way we live our lives, in the way we talk, in the way we pray, in the way we come alongside, in the way we help. Lord, make, make us ambassadors of your grace tonight going forward. And may this weekend, Father, be just times where we draw near to you, where we evaluate our lives, where we grow to be disciples who make disciples, so that Christ's name would be made great among the nations. In his name we pray.